How's everybody doing? Good, good. Well, my name is Melody, and Pastor Josh and I are going to tackle this message uh, for you today in two parts. And um, we are very glad to have our third amigo back. We call ourselves the three amigos. Yeah? Uh, Grant is back. That's right. And we're so glad that he was able to be with his family in a time of need, but also very glad you are back. Our trio is complete. Yes. Um, well, just we're so uh, happy to have you here. Wasn't the kids thing super cute? Ben here rocking out at the corner, right? The kids back there, too cool for school. They kind of want to participate, kind of don't know if they hate it or if they love it, but they're, they're cute, right? Uh, so thank you. I mean, if you see uh, Jason or Linda Allen or Cecilia Tarango, Marissa Tittle, all the volunteers, just thank them because that is just too, right? It's just so sweet to have the kids up here. Friday night, we had uh, Coco in the courtyard. We did a lot of singing that night. If you're here for that, yeah. And uh, it was more like a bingo sing-along song, but you had to be here for it. So uh, Daniel is a lucky guy. You won twice, right? Bingo twice. That's the man to sit next to next time. Um, and if you have been here regularly at all in the last three weeks, uh, you know that I am on a singing kick. I am not auditioning for the worship team or anything like that, but I get a microphone and I can't control myself and it just happens. So we're going to do that today. Again, ready? So get your singing voices ready. -la 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 -la. Okay, excellent. Very good. So I'm going to actually ask you about one specific song, one specific song today. So what is the all-time most favorite, most famous, favorite holiday song? Now, not according to any survey I looked up, just according to my opinion. So White Christmas, no. Rudolph, no. What's that? All I want for Christmas. Let's do it. Ready? Ready? Do you know it? Mariah Carey? Let's do it. You have your voices. Ready? I don't want a lot for Christmas. You know it. There is just one thing I need. Come on. Don't care about the underneath the Christmas tree. I just want you for, that's wrong, my own, more than you could ever make my wish come true. She's Brian Carey, right? All I want for Christmas is, okay, we're going to stop it right there. All right, excellent. So, that is the most all-time favorite. We're, we're seriously going to bring back the new song choir. We're going to do it. Um, I should not be in charge, though. But she could be singing about anything. She could be singing about a sweater, right? She could be singing about a puppy. She could be singing about a Target gift card. I'm just basically giving you my kid's Christmas list right here. A puppy is not going to happen. But um, what's another song about wanting something at Christmas time? What's another song? Know about wanting something. All I want for Christmas is my, come on, my, oh, my two front teeth. Then if I could only have my, 
Then I could wish you Merry Christmas, right? Okay, what's another one? I do not understand this song, but you are correct. That is, and the kid is so annoying. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas, right? Come on, only a hippopotamus will do. No crocodiles, no crocodiles, or rhinos and rhinoceroses. I only want what hippopotamuses. I don't get it. My kids are like, why would a kid want a hippo for Christmas? How would Santa even get that in his bag? Um, but wanting something is not just limited to Christmas songs. What about you two? The famous YouTube. And I still, come on, haven't found. What are they looking for? What I'm looking for. Nobody knows, but they're looking for it. Um, what about uh, what about Adele? Hello. How are you? Is that a different song? No, it's a different song that I'm singing. Is it me you're looking for? No? She's looking, she's wondering who he's looking for or who someone's looking for. Well, so there are endless, endless songs about wanting something, about searching for something, or there's endless, endless songs about like, whoops, change my mind about that, change my mind, now I'm confused, I thought I knew what I wanted, but now I can see clearly, what about the song, I can see clearly now the rain is gone, Yeah. Um, well, why do we have these songs? Why are these songs written? Well, they stem from our human hearts. They stem from our human hearts that we're swayed by one thing or another, or we change our minds, and I want a puppy. No, I want a sweater. No, I want a hippopotamus. No, I want this. I want this. I want that. Oh, I changed my mind. I can see clearly now. I think I thought I knew what I want, and now uh, it's different. We all have ideas about things, Yes. We all have thoughts about things, yes? And then, then, depending on how it's going is depending on where, whether we think it's good or not good or uh, I changed my mind, right? Depending on how it's going, we decide how much we are on board, right? Yes? So, you know, it's, these songs stem from our human hearts and so I wonder, what kind of songs would have been written back then? What kind of songs would have stemmed out of, out of hearts back then when the world, the same world that you and I live in today, when this world, the same flesh and bone people, I wonder, I, I can only imagine what their hearts and minds were thinking about when the Messiah, the Lord, was introduced to the world. The passage for today is John 1.14. It says, the, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So this Messiah, this Lord came and lived among us. So what were they thinking? I bet they were thinking, well, what does he look like? What is he going to act like? What's important to him? Can you imagine as word travels about this Messiah, can you imagine what kind of ideas they begin to form in their minds? Maybe someone people thought, I bet he'll be tall and strong. I bet he'll be a mighty force when he walks in the room that everyone turns to look. Or I bet he'll be a man who's fast with a sword and quick-witted like a politician, right? People were probably in their minds making expectations and ideas of who this Savior was going to be. 
And who was this Savior that they wanted for them? So they're just like these songs that, that we were just singing about. He'll probably be like this, and I want him to be like that. And he'll say this, and he'll say that, and I will get this, and I will get that. Again, fill in the blank here to whatever expectations they may have created in their mind. Well, today I'm going to tell you about the Savior that they got, that we got we got a Savior who, who gave sight to a blind man. We got a Savior who went out of his way, several days out of his way, so he could be in specific places at specific times to heal a bleeding woman, to bring back a father who thought his daughter died, to bring her back to life. A Savior who makes time for children. And doesn't just see them as annoying things to, to keep him from his mission. He makes time for them. He sees them. He listens to them. He talks to them. He's a savior who demons flee from. He's a savior that reached out to people who were social outcasts. A woman with five husbands who sat at a well so that she wouldn't have to interact with the other people in town. She sat in the scorching sun just so she wouldn't be seen. He saw her. He's a savior who talked to a group of lepers, a savior who hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. Not only does he reach out to them, but he has dinner with them. He calls them friends. He's a savior who performs miracles. He fed 5,000, turned water into wine, brings back people from the dead. He's a savior who came to this earth and made himself a servant to those around him, a savior who got down on his knees and did the job that was reserved for the least among us, the dirtiest job you could have. He got down on his knees and washed people's feet. Last week I asked you if you wanted a good Christmas story, and what did I say? What did I say last week? I said, look in the mirror. Look in the mirror if you want a good Christmas story because you are the Christmas story. Jesus didn't come to be words on a page for those people. He came to be real to you and to me now. This Savior that is the same Savior for them, the same Savior who is here, he came to, to make his dwelling among us, to be with you, to be with you in all your, in all your dirty, in all your ugliness, in all your sadness, in all, in all of our mess. That is the Savior that we got, the Savior that loves us, comforts us, brings us peace, brings us joy, a Savior that knows all of these things and wants to be a part of your every minute of your every day. You know why there's so many songs about searching for something, looking for something, longing for something? Because there's nothing, nothing that's going to be able to fill that. Nothing, no job, no amount of money, no amount of persons in your life, no amount of whatever it is, nothing will be able to fill that the way our Savior can. He is the fulfillment of everything we need. <clears throat> Thank you, Melody. It's so good. We're wrapping up this series that we're in called Fully Human. And this was very intentional to focus on the humanity 
of Jesus. And one of the things that we want to do is wrap it up with the purpose. And as Melody just talked to us, he is our Savior. That's what we celebrate. That's the end of the story, right? That's what we get to take joy in. But as we were doing this series, something brought up in my mind. I was thinking a question that I have, because I have a lot of questions. And one of the questions is, prior to Jesus coming, was God good? Prior to Jesus coming, was God just? Was he righteous? Was he faithful? Did he love us? And all of those things are a resounding yes. So it begs the question, what is God doing in coming as a human? What different aspect about who he is is being revealed not just in his deity, but in his humanity? And today's message is called A Savior is Given, and Melody started us off by by really unpacking what that means, how he is a savior to us. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about what he gave and what gifts we get from his humanity. Now, with gifts, it's really appropriate, right? Follows right into the season with gifts. Lots of, how many of you enjoy getting gifts? Good. Raise your hand. Don't, okay, there you go. Um, yeah, we enjoy getting gifts. Uh, I have a very specific requirement for gifts. Lindsay will tell you this too. I don't, a gifts can't be too practical. If we're getting close to Christmas and Lindsay's like, you know, I need a little shampoo. Could you get that and put that in my stocking? I'm like, no, that's not a Christmas gift. That's a Target run. If this is July... I wouldn't do the same thing and wrap it up and put it under a tree, for right? Like, it's completely different. For me, gifts are all about wants and not needs, right? I'm like, I want, I want something. I want to get you something that you never buy yourself. That's what I think. But I've learned this, and I think we all know that the best kind of gifts are the ones that fill a need and fill a want, right? That do both. I don't know if you've ever gotten a gift from a friend or from a family member, and it wasn't the most expensive thing. It wasn't the best thing in the store, but it was one of those gifts that you really felt like, man, they see me. They know me. They get me, and they love me enough to like get this gift that, that isn't just practical, but it represents our relationship almost, right? It's this beautiful thing when you get, it could be a $10 gift, but it means so much. And there's those realities that we see, these little nuggets of truth as we went through this series in the life of Jesus, starting with Jesus being a baby. He came and he was born a baby, completely and utterly dependent on his parents. He had no ability to do anything for himself. He needed to rely on them for his safety, for his food, for his shelter, for all those things. And we get a gift of connectedness with him in that. Not just because all of us were babies, right? We've, we've relied on other people to keep us alive. Um, and we have that in common. But because if we're honest as adults, we have those times where we have nothing to give. Where if it was just left to our own power, that we wouldn't be able to move ourselves forward. One of the things I like to do when I want to be true in my life and in my marriage is that I would be a consistent presence, right? I would be when things are crazy and when everything's in an uproar for Lindsay, I want to be one of those people, one of those things that is steadfast in her life, that is stable, that can get her through things. But that, thank you. Um, not going to help me get through this, babe. Uh, um, but I want to be those things. But I've had times in my life where I had nothing to give, 
where I couldn't push myself forward with under my own strength. And, you know, this isn't a very manly thing to say, right? Like you couldn't do it under your own. I've hit those points where I needed someone to come beside me and to provide the natural, the simple things of life and help me through that. And Jesus is saying, not only do I know, do I understand what you're going through, Josh, but I'm going to do something about it. And that's what the series is about. We fast forward a little bit and we see preteen Jesus, which I love preteen Jesus. I work with students. So it's funny to me. Preteen Jesus. And at the end of this passage, this little itty bitty passage we have about Jesus in between being born and starting his ministry, we see at the end of the passage, it says that he grew in stature and in favor with God and man. That Jesus gave himself to the process of growing up that he gave himself to the process of growing up. We see Jesus interacting, the one who had all truth, who had all authority, who had all wisdom. We find him sitting with some teachers in a very specific time, in a very specific place that wouldn't be known by any of us if it weren't for him, and listening and learning. And he, you know what he didn't do? He didn't stand on truth and say, hey, I know everything. Let me tell you guys how it goes. Because he realized that there's things that are more important than just having all the knowledge and just having the right answers. That sometimes truth is actually secondary or tertiary to what is of most important. And I say that for us, church, for me too. Because sometimes in our fear and our insecurity, we use this thing we call truth and instead of standing on it, instead of it securing us, we turn it into a sword and we don't care who it cuts. But when we see the posture of Jesus, that he was more worried about the relationships and the people that he interacted with. And it's this beautiful gift that we get of him being a preteen, showing us the ultimate form of humility. And we get that gift. And you fast forward to the next week was about a man forsaken, and he gave himself to condemnation. And this is the crux of everything that we talk about, that Jesus was on a pursuit of the cross. When I say he gave himself to condemnation, when Jesus was going through life, he didn't just sit back and let terrible things happen to him, right? Like he was forced into that. From the moment he was born and he was an infant that we celebrate and we remember, he was on a trajectory and that trajectory had an ending, and that ending was marked with an X that's kind of tilted this way. And it was meant to be at a specific place in a specific time. And that place was the intersection of God and humanity. John 2.2, First uh, John 2.2 says that he, Jesus, was the propitiation of our sins. And not just ours, but the sins of the world. And I know most of you are like, Josh, propitiation, it's Christmas, I don't need this, lots of words. Simply means satisfied. There was something very specifically satisfied on that cross in that moment in time in what Jesus was doing. And it was the fullness of God's wrath. And if any of you have ever ventured into the Old Testament, which is a crazy journey when you're there, if ever ventured in, you know something about God's wrath. God's wrath is fierce, and it is final, and it is complete. And Jesus had a trajectory, and his trajectory was that cross. 
And he was condemned, condemned in a way only the worst type of person could be condemned. And we can all sit here and we can say it was unjust and it shouldn't have happened because he was perfect. Yet this crazy thing happened before he was condemned. He embodied the fullness of sin of humanity. So the fullness of God's wrath wasn't unjustly poured out on him. It was justly focused on the point of him even coming. In a second, and you guys can start getting this ready, um, we're going to take communion together. And if you guys want to start getting uh, that prepared, I will, because otherwise I won't be able to. But before we enter into communion, I want us to consider this. When we consider the deity of Jesus, if you don't have communion, you can raise your hand. I think we have some people. Is anyone missing one? A couple hands over here. It'll make it around to you. Just keep those hands up if you don't have it. Someone will come your way. Awesome. Before we enter into this time of communion, I want us to consider a few things. If we consider the deity of Jesus, then what we are proclaiming, we're proclaiming a need being met. There's a very real need. There is a gap. There was a gap in between us and the creator of the universe. There was an insurmountable separation between us and God that had no way to traverse it other than the fullness of God's wrath being satisfied. And when we proclaim Jesus as God, what we're saying is that Jesus took care of of that problem, that we all have a desperate need in our life, and, and that issue is sin and the struggle, and that we're identified something other than God, and Jesus, being God, fixed that. But when we consider the humanity of Jesus, which we just spent four weeks intentionally doing, when we consider the humanity of Jesus, we proclaim that Jesus loves us, that when we consider that he was human, that he came and he lived a life and he was a baby and a, and a, and a boy and grew into a man, when we consider Jesus's humanity, what we proclaim is that Jesus did something about that, that when you feel completely and utterly helpless, like you can't do anything for yourself and you have nothing else to give. Jesus isn't just saying to you, hey, I know how that feels because I was a baby, guys. What he said is, I know how that feels and I did something intentionally so that I could be with you in it. When you don't know what is going on and you get pushed and, and this world is just weird and you feel forced to defend yourself and to use truth and to be cutting rather than gracious, Jesus says, I know. I know where that comes from. He's not upset. He is not frustrated with you. He has compassion and empathy and says, you know what? I need you to know I am there with you. And when the world unfairly and unjustly attacks you and beats you down and condemns you, Jesus 
in his humanity, in what he did, not just on the cross, but in being a child and being a kid and being a man who was forsaken, says, I see you. And what I did on that cross, what all this led to, is that I know for eternity, none of my children are going to have to experience those things which I did alone. Jesus sat with his disciples, and he was sitting at a dinner that was probably very similar to either Thanksgiving or maybe a dinner that you're going to have soon on Christmas Eve or whatever it is, that he sat with them and he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Let's take the bread. And after... They had a meal. They sat down together. They laughed together. They had some serious conversation, maybe. I just pictured the whole night, right? It was they're having good food. There's times of complete silence because everyone's eating. There's times of people just chuckling about a silly thing that happened. Whatever it is, they had this meal together. And at the end of that wonderful meal that he had, Not Jesus, Savior of the world, and the apostles that we accredit to starting the church, but a man, a rabbi, and his followers, friends, shared that meal together. And he took the cup, and when he took the cup, he said, this is the new covenant poured out in my blood. The blood of a man who was born just down the street. When he was talking to the disciples, he wasn't talking about a figurative savior that's detached from us. He was talking about their friend, a person that they saw laugh, that they saw get upset, eat, sleep, get frustrated, laugh, have fun, make jokes. He said, the blood that courses through my veins is a new covenant. And that new covenant is going to now and forever change the way God gets to interact with his people. So that you might know, as you sit here in Southern California, in San Dimas, in this church that you're sitting in right now, with whatever stuff you got going in in the background, the presents you haven't wrapped or bought, uh, the pain that comes with this season because of something that happened years past, the weight of things that are hidden that have not yet been made known to any other person, the weight of not knowing maybe where the next paycheck is going or a sickness is going, with all of those things that you might know as you sit here in a room maybe feeling desperately alone, even though you're surrounded by people, that you are not alone and that he is with you. And he has placed some real flesh and blood people, imperfect as we all are, physically around you so that you might make it through what comes next.
Let's take the cup together. Lord, we can never fully express our joy, not in what was fixed on the cross, and not with the situation with our sin and how that was taken care of, Lord, but the very fact that you filled a need in our life. And you also provided the deepest want that any of us could have. That we might be known and that we might be loved. The elements that we just took, that we take each week, God, they represent a unity found not in what we believe, not in what we think, not in how we do church, but in the fact that we are all weighted with a desperate need for your redemption and a desperate desire to be known and be loved. And you have united us in your sacrifice, in your gift, as a Savior that was given to us for this purpose. So we praise you for that. In your holy and precious name, amen.